This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we're spending time in one of the staple passages of Impact Campus Ministries and a foundational text for intimacy with God. Jesus is the true vine. What can we learn by taking this truth seriously? It's allergy season, Brent Billings. Can you can you already hear it in my voice? <laughs> I don't know. I just figured... I figured you'd want to say something at some point. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure people can hear it. My my nasal passages are just being assaulted right now. (laughs) Well, we're glad you're here anyway. This is one of our staple passages here at Impact Campus Ministries. This is this is the passage of what we call our our special sauce, Brent Billings. Impacts. This is our saucy passage. This is this is it. This is the essential ingredient to the things that we do at Impact Campus Ministries. This is this is the big deal. I know how much you are love you, the phrase are you, special are sauce. Are you going to make me do this on the I, podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I was just seeing. I was seeing where, where this was going to go. Special sauce is disgusting. Nobody likes special sauce. It's not special. Secret sauce. That's what people want. They want to know the secret. But they want the secret sauce. That's what I say. And yet, and yet that's the problem with the term, because we don't want this to be a secret. We want to give it away to right. everyone for well, free. Sure. But that's the thing about the secret is like it feels special <laughs> because you know the secret. I I just love everything about this. And had we run this, I mean, we've been we've been having this conversation now for a couple a couple years. I feel like had we run this all the way through, I probably would have even sided with you. And even and even just decided that we were going to give away secret sauce left and right. But nevertheless, here we are. Isn't that what we talk about? The scandal of the gospel is the the craziness of it. The, yeah. the scandal of the secret sauce is you're just giving away the secret. Ah, absolutely. And we always talk about he who has ears, let him hear. Why do you teach the people in parables? Jesus, I teach them because they won't understand it. Like it feels like Jesus is on board with your secret sauce thing and you just didn't convince me in time. <laughs> <laughs> It's never too late. Uh, it's never too late. <laughs> I love it so much. All right. Uh, man, I was getting ready for today's episode. John 15. We do 1 through 25. And um, I, I was just looking over the passage, and I kept I kept thinking two things. Number one, I can't even imagine like the fun that is probably to be had if we wrestle with, say, the uh, the elements of pardes. As it relates to John 15. Um, I Honestly, I've just never done a whole bunch of Pardes work in John 15. I've never even... And I know that a few other people have referenced some Pardes ideas. And I've found it to be very intriguing. And I just never dwell on that part. So that would be cool. But we're not going to do that today. The other part that I thought of would be, was... I, I thought to myself, man, just the way that John 15 sits in the larger... The larger conversation and the movement of the discourse happening in John and the elements of John and the thematic element, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. And we will, we we will deal deal with some of that by the time we're out of here today. I'll definitely give some commentary for that, um, but not a whole lot of that either. This is one passage that I am just going to, I'm just going to sit on a shot level. And just really think about and and take our time and pause and reflect on a surface level Peshat reading of John 15. I feel like if we took John 15 more seriously in our 
Christian, especially evangelical cultures that many of us are a part of, things would go better for us. I feel like it is just a power-packed passage, which is why it's our staple passage. It's why it's it's our saucy conversation uh, at Impact. It's why everything for us kind of hinges on the ideas here. But uh, I don't know, unless you got anything to add to those intro comments, Brent, I think we can dive right in, and I'm going to probably interrupt you mid-sentence, every sentence. I mean, who knows? But we're going to have fun. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, also... Pardes, not not necessarily the full Pardes, but just the idea of a Peshat reading. And this is one of those passages where there is so much depth if you want to dig into it, but there's also so much power just in the Peshat reading. Yep. And I, I think that's why this passage is so resonant for so many people, because it is like, it's not about whether you understand. And there's there's plenty of stuff in there where it's like, I don't quite understand what's going on there. But the concept is is just sitting right there on the surface. And if you actually take it seriously, it's really more a matter of taking it seriously. It's not a matter of figuring it out or understanding. It's just, do you take it seriously? And if you do, there is so much to get out of this just on a Peshat level. Yeah. And I, I'm looking forward to see what the, there's a few spots here. I'm like, I wonder what the NET, and I, I just knew I could ask Brent, so I didn't even look at it before I got ready for today's passage, but I'm curious to see what it says about a few things. But Well, yeah, most of what it talks about is um, not something that makes me excited. <laughs> that is too bad. Oh, well, we'll make up the difference. There are a few interesting things. All right. I like it. All right, well, let's uh, let's go ahead and, and dive in here. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. All right, um, let's, let's... And let me, let me get one more okay. uh, verse. Ooh, I like this. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So here's one of the cool things that the NET points out, is this uh, wordplay that's going on in the Greek that you cannot see in the English. Uh, so he cuts off every branch that is Iro, uh, and then he prunes, uh, the branch that does not bear fruit. He prunes, prunes is Cuthiro. Ah. And then in verse three, you are already clean is Cuthiros. Okay. So there's like this, this little wordplay going on between all of these statements. Um, and I don't necessarily have like the whole meaning behind there, but there is like a connection between all of those statements yeah. as to what is going on. Sure. That could even be relevant to my comments too. Um, I mean, it's one of the, it's one of my favorite things to point out. So Jesus starts with this, this, this image, this, um, this word picture that he has that, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the vine. God is the vine dresser. So just in that image alone, I love this, picture of Jesus telling his disciples and and the readers of John and the his followers like you're a part of me like you're later we'll talk about the body of Christ or the temple of the holy spirit or but the, again just yet another image of you all are a part of this thing that I'm doing and God is this thing that is that is leading and guiding and directing the thing that I'm doing so this interplay in this relationship Jesus is the vine and 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 we are the branches. Jesus is the vine, and God is the vine dresser, the gardener. Uh, Ray explained it to me when I was in Turkey, using the image of when he says, when Jesus says, "I am the vine." He's like the main. Uh, I mean, I mean, 
Jews even talk about grapevines in terms of trees. So in that in that regard, the term would be trunk. Jesus says, I'm the main, I'm the main vine. I am the trunk of the vine. I am the I am the essence of the vine itself. And you all are the are these branches, the branches, the 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 I don't know what you want to call it, the the tributaries, the the floral tributaries to this vine. And 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 that's the thing that that God's working with. And then yes, you pointed out this. I, I've often talked about this. He cuts off every branch. And the word there is iro, and it's a word that's used elsewhere. It, it can be remove. I think the NRSV that I have open in front of me at the moment says remove. He removes every branch. Um, to take up is usually how we translate iro, to take up. And, and, and the, the image there is that you, you, you take it up to take it with you. You take it up to remove it, which is why the NRSV is taking remove. Uh, you could say cut off, and yet that's really one of the least directly applicable translations, I feel like, of Iro. Iro would typically mean to to take up or to take with you, but to cut off gives you the exact wrong implication. I remember when I learned this in Turkey, um, you could actually sit along the vines and you could see where the vine dresser, if you had a really low, let's say you had a you had a vine coming out of the ground and one of the branches was very low to the ground. One of the things that you have to do is you have to keep a branch of the vine off the ground because if the vine hits the ground, if the fruit hits the ground, that's that's what's going to stunt the growth of the grapes. It can lead to everything to what we talked about in session two with be'ushim, if you remember the term be'ushim. Um, it can, it's going to just make the grapes completely unusable. So you have to get the vine up off the ground. And so what the vine dresser will often do, what the vineyard owner will do is they'll take that vine and they'll put a, a board underneath it, or they'll, they'll tie it up. They'll do something to bring that vine and kind of train it to grow upwards off the ground where it needs to go. So this, the, the image there, as was taught to me, is not at all that he, he's cutting off in this verse. He is not cutting off the branch at all. He's actually lifting it up. He's actually tying it up. He's taking it up so that it no longer sits on. The, so that, that's a totally different image than to cut off. Like that, if you're cutting off the branch, then and we're going to get some of that image later. It's not, it's not that that image goes away completely because Jesus is going to talk about here in a few verses, branches that don't bear fruit are, are gathered up and the ones that are cut off are, are thrown in the fire and burned and that image is coming. But this particular verse here, this verse would say the vine dresser cares for you. The vine dresser addresses your situation. The vine dresser does the things that are necessary, gives you an opportunity, uh, uh, changes your circumstances so that you have every opportunity to bear fruit. And that's a that's a wildly different image. I remember uh, teaching that um, once when I was in South Bend, and there was a a Notre Dame grad student in church that morning, and they were. Uh, they were a Greek whiz kid, way better with the Greek than I was. And they said, I had never thought about that. I'm going to go spend some time on that. And they, their opinion was that uh, it wasn't that it was an open, shut case, that that's how we should understand Iroh. But they said, but it's definitely like cut off definitely isn't like a stronger case. And based on the context, they were, they were just fascinated by that concept. And I'm wondering now because of the wordplay, if that even makes it slightly 
maybe builds that case up even more because that's driving the word choice. It would seem if there if there really is an intentional wordplay on John's part, he's choosing these words maybe not even because of their specificity, as much as because of their audible the way that they sound with the wordplay there between Iro, Kathiro, and Kathiros. Very interesting. Who knew? Yeah, and the NET also says that the prune word later in verse 2 would really better be translated clean, but it's like that that seems weird to clean a tree or a branch, but it is sort of like when you're pruning, like that is sort of a cleaning sort of action. It's just you wouldn't really necessarily talk about it that way. Well, but then you see you see clean in verse three. And so, yes. And those, those words are, you know, even more similar. Yeah. What you've definitely done is you've made verse three make way more sense to me because verse three's always kind of felt weird to me. Like you are already clean. And I'm like, what in the world is that reference? Where's that coming from? Like, and now that I know that there's a word play taking place there, that way, that makes way more sense. And you could think of like pruning as cleaning. What you're doing is you're taking the vine, you're taking the vine branch, you're, you're cleaning it up in a sense, like, it's not the best translation as far as idea, but you can see how the wordplay is there and why that word makes sense. And so, yeah, I, and again, I think that supports this idea, uh, no pun intended, of the vine dresser taking a, a low-hanging branch, you know, supporting it, pulling it up, taking it up, tying it up, cleaning it up. I, I, you know, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. He takes every branch and he cleans it up and he supports it and he ties it up and he makes sure that it bears fruit. And you, what does that verse say? You are already clean. You have already been cleaned by the word I've. So Jesus saying to his disciples, this process has already begun in you. As you've walked with me and followed me for three years, God's already doing this work in you. I'm not talking about some future work that he has to do that he hasn't even started I'm talking about something that's already at work in you. God's already pruning you. You're already in this process, which fits because what's the tone, if we can remember, Brent, from our last few conversations, our last chapter, our last couple episodes? What is the tone of what Jesus is driving at with his disciples? Can we remember? Uh, I mean, he's talking about love. He's talking about um, the Holy Spirit. And in the context of glory, like you, this is how a person is glorified. And these last couple of conversations we've really been drumming on, there's one thing that really brings us to glory. It's the one thing that kind of awaits the disciples that's in front of them. And it's going to sit in this passage too. We're not going to get away from it. This is going to really, this is really kind of like the bulk of the conversation for a good three chapters here in John was the idea of, you got anything else to add to that, Brent? Anything else? What is going to bring us to glory? Well, self-sacrifice. Okay. Or, or even more refined, I would say the idea of suffering. Like they're okay. they're going to suffer. They're going to endure. They're going to have to persevere. We talked about, uh, and the Holy Spirit is coming so that they can persevere. The Holy Spirit is coming so that they can endure. The Holy Spirit is coming. So there's this whole, it's now, who do you believe Jesus is? That was the book of signs. Now that you've decided that Jesus is who he says he is, now we have the book of glory. And what is this? Now it's time to wash feet. Now it's time to serve. Now it's time to endure the suffering. Now it's time to go to the cross. If you remember our last conversation about the way, we are the way, the truth, and love. We talked about Philip. We talked about the fulfillment of Philip's life, ultimately following Jesus in the same kind of martyrdom, the same kind of giving of him, uh, of that that ultimate self-sacrifice, and so here is this 
here's Jesus saying, yes, there is pruning. This process has already started. You have more pruning, more cleaning, more work that God is going to do ahead of you. And I think sometimes we can forget that as we talk about John 15. We forget the context that this passage is growing out of, and that time pen was intended, that we forget this this sense that like this conversation about abiding in him, remaining in him, is coming out of a larger conversation about this is going to be a struggle. This is going to be intense, and I'm inviting you to follow me to the cross, but you got to stay, abide with me, stay with me, remain in me, you'll bear fruit. It's going to be, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. It's going to be pruning, but fruit is coming. And so that's the context in which this passage shows up. And speaking of context, we don't actually see until John 18 where they enter a garden, but at the end of John 14, they have left the upper room. Yes. And like, there's got to be a vine that Jesus is pointing to when he's talking about this. No doubt. And the, the NET, the footnote, acknowledges that the the cut off or take away could mean lift up, but then they quickly dismiss it based on what we see in verse six. But it's like, what? That Like when you actually see it and how it functions, yep. it makes so much more sense. And just because there is a reality later on Correct. where if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such Absolutely. branches are picked up and thrown into the fire. Yep. Sure, that happens later on. But in this earlier part of the process, you're gonna you're not just gonna like immediately cut everything off and say, Oh, well, not nothing I can do about it. Like, no, there is something you can do about it. When you have an actual gardener, and I would say the ultimate gardener <laughs> with the father. Yep. Uh, the OG well, gardener. Like he's gonna he's gonna do everything he can to I mean it says he wishes none to be lost it says he you know he says he wants to bring more people in like he's it just doesn't make any sense to immediately cut something off when it's not bearing fruit that's right because there are things you can do and when you see it it makes so much more sense so I don't know what the NET or anybody else is talking about come on NET (laughs) come on come on NET Brent Billings is begging you here yeah I'm with you I'm with you I'm I'm in total support of your point yeah that's right so but yeah, they've got to be there. Surely there are vines all over the place. Like they don't have to be in a garden to have a vine somewhere. Like Absolutely. they could be walking on the way and he sees it. And it's like, okay, you know what? Here's a vine. I'm the true vine, by the way. And it could even be in the city, but you've seen the Kidron Valley. If he's at all outside the city by this point, there's going to be vines all over that valley as you're walking down the Kidron Valley. Olive groves, grapevines, uh, those are going to be plentiful. So totally yeah, agree. That, I was looking at that with John 18. It's, it's, I feel like he's got to be in the city because John 18 says when he had finished praying. So, so uh, at the end of 14, it says they get up and leave. And then they have this conversation about the vine. Uh, John 16, they have the conversation about the Holy Spirit. 17. Uh, he starts praying. It just says he looked up and started praying. Like there's no other movement at that point. And then in 18, it says when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. 
Oh, fascinating. I've never cut that in John. See, I've always just equated the prayer of John 17 with his final prayers of like, Father, take this cup from me. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. And then I was surprised to find it Mm. after that. So Mm. John uh, messing with our time continuum. (laughs) Yeah. So, but, but like almost without doubt at all, there is a vine that he's looking at when he's having this conversation. Absolutely, I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't know where we left off, but I'm ready to get back into it. Okay. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay. Which makes, I mean, this makes sense. Jesus is a vine. I mean, obviously if you're staring at a vine, you realize that a branch is not connected to the vine. Any branch that doesn't remain in the vine, I mean, any other idea would just be flat out silliness. Like no, no branch can. And yet when we realize the importance of what Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, and if that's true, working with the metaphor I'm using, you've got to stay with me. You got to hang with me. Whatever we have ahead of us, if you're going to follow me to the cross, whatever glory awaits us, you got to remain in me. You got to abide in me. And I will say this. I don't know at what point I would have said this, but I'll say this now. I do think as we do it at impact, we make the same connection. I do think it is a valuable connection to connect this to the idea of spiritual formation, to the idea of the pursuit of of, of God, of Jesus, to the idea of of spiritual practice and spiritual discipline, uh, prayer and fasting and meditation and and all the things that well we we can even link. Uh, how about we link in the show notes, Brent, the creating a space episode twenty four, episode twenty four. Yeah, twenty four. And and we'll link that one again. That, I I love the connection of abiding, remaining, abiding in the vine. And the idea of creating a space and pursuing spiritual formation. I think most directly, Jesus is talking about something maybe bigger or wider than that. But I love the idea that it's a wonderful place to start. It is at least that. How am I ever going to remain in Jesus if I never create space to pursue him? How will I ever remain in Jesus if I never have an intentional pursuit of God that I can articulate and lean into and show up every single day? Psalm 1, blessed is a man who does not walk in the way of sinners, nor stand in the place of scoffers, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. We talk about the idea of Hagah. The, how how can you abide and not at least try to pursue those things? I think we're going to see here in a few verses Jesus is talking about directly maybe wider, bigger things. But how can you Jesus 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 saying if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna acknowledge who I am, Book of Signs, and, and want to follow me to glory, if you're gonna go, you're gonna have to stick. You're gonna have to stick with me. You're gonna have to stay with me because that's what's gonna bear fruit in your life. And apart from me, has he already said that verse? Brent, I got lost. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's done that one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Verse five, apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot disconnect yourself as a branch from the very vine, obviously. What a silly idea. Nor can we, but man, I feel like we do that in church and we do that in ministry and we do that just all over the place in our spiritual communities and our spiritual formation we try to do things on our own strength. We try to produce. I mean, this goes all the way back to episode one and trusting the story and Sabbath. And we try to produce and we try to impress and we try to go and we try to duplicate and replicate. And 
we are so production minded. And Jesus is like, man, that stuff, like it's like fool's gold. Like it looks like production. It looks good. It looks like it looks shiny. It looks good. It looks kingdom. But if it if you're not connected to me, if it's not coming directly from an intimate connection to me and what I'm doing in you and through you in the world, that that is not it's nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Whatever that looks like on the outside as far as fruit goes, it's not the fruit that I'm that I'm bearing. So we we've always on that verse at impact, we've always made I mean, our, our definition of success, maybe you can link in the show notes, Brent, our, the about tab of our website. We have a definition of success there towards the bottom of that page. And our definition of success have always has always stated, if you remain in Jesus, if you abide in him, if you pursue intimacy with him, based on this passage, we believe, we have a fundamental belief that Jesus will produce fruit. And I'm not sure how you can guarantee it any other way. I don't think you can work backwards and guarantee fruit production. But the the one thing you can you can control, the one thing you can be a part of is making sure you are abiding, remaining, passionately pursuing Jesus. And if you're doing that, I I believe I can guarantee you. Guarantee, just like when we said if you create a space, God will fill it. If you abide in Jesus, he will will guaranteed bear fruit. It may not be the kind of fruit you're expecting or the amount of fruit or or what it may defy all your expectations and desires. But if you abide in him, he will bear fruit. It, it just feels like all episode 24 vibes all over again. If you create space, he will fill it. If you abide in him, he will bear fruit and it will be fruit that will last. Yeah, and on the note of Psalm 1, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Ah, look at you. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, to your point of we we might not get the fruit when we expect it, but it will come in the season that it belongs. I had to keep going on my remez. I had to keep going. I didn't even realize it. It was right there. There's more fruit staring me right in the face, and I stopped too early. I love that. Thank you. Well, and on that idea of like, uh, so the idea of a vine and branches and whether it should be considered a tree or whatever, um, the, the NET points out that... Uh, most of the passages in Tanakh that talk about vine, uh, it is symbolic of Israel and Messiah is spoken of as a cedar tree specifically in Ezekiel, uh, 17. Is that right? Yes. Uh, yep. no, yep. That's the yeah, Ezekiel 17. Yep. So, um, yeah, it does like, I, I think there's, there's some play with the imagery of saying, well, you know, we've, we've thought about vine like this before, but I'm the true vine, but also I'm this tree and there's going to be this fruit. And yeah, there's, there's just a lot of like playing around with the imagery here, which, yeah. uh, which I like. Well, and the Gezra Shiva that is available to us there because in Isaiah, God says he took a vine out of Egypt and then he transplanted it. And elsewhere in Isaiah and in the Ezekiel passage you reference, it speaks of that transplant being a cedar tree. So you could easily 
do a Gezerah Shiva. That goes back to session three, if anybody's trying to remember what a Gezerah Shiva is. But you could connect those ideas and those passages together to make that larger point you're making. I, I, I think you're spot on there. And, you know, not surprising at all that John would be making uh, a complicated set of connections to. Nope. To prove his points about who Jesus is. So wouldn't surprise us. Uh, let's see. Where were we? Um, Verse six. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If and, you remain and, it. And I'm going to stop you here. I, I love the point you made earlier because Jesus just got done saying, you got to stay connected to me because if you don't stay connected to me, obviously you're not going to bear any fruit. Only, only branches connected to the vine. Those are the only kind of branches. And so this isn't a, a, an idea connected with some verse three verses ago. In John 15, this is connected to that same idea. And if you don't stay connected to me, and if you if you if there is no fruit and you are a disconnected vine, we know what happens to those kind of vines. And it's not a this isn't a declaration of eternal judgment about, you know, it's definitely not some statement about salvation or anything like that. It's a statement about fruitfulness. I would say usefulness, but I think our American minds would connect. I'm only useful if I'm bearing fruit, which kind of goes against the whole image that's at play here. But we do understand that fruitless branches, branches that aren't connected, that have no potential, they wither. You don't save the withering branches. You get rid of those. So if you want to be a part of the thing that God's doing, if you want to be a part of the book of glory, if you want to follow Jesus and what he's doing in the world, you're going to have to stay connected. Because if you don't stay connected, we know what happens to those kind of branches. Again, disconnected from the idea of eternal judgment, connected to the image that Jesus is employing, saying the the branches that are connected, the branches that allow themselves to be pruned and cleaned and lifted up and supported, those are the branches that bear fruit. And that's what that's what being a p- part of a vine is all about, is the fruit bearing. So don't disconnect yourself from me, because that's pointless. And then you wither, and there's no life, and there's no fruit, and then there's no reason to be here. So I love it. Go ahead. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And I think this is one of those passages where we kind of gloss over the details behind it. We're like, oh yeah, we can ask whatever we want in Jesus' name and and it'll be done. It's like, well, yeah. You kind of you kind of have to take the first part of that verse seriously, though, before before that's going to happen. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, another interesting NET footnote on this idea is um, this phrase: "Showing yourselves to be my disciples." Um, there's uh, some manuscript debate going on as to whether it should be um, like you've you've borne the fruit, and so that shows that you're disciples. Or by bearing the fruit, you will become disciples. And it is kind of all, you know, sort of tied up in the same sort of meaning at the end of the day. But uh, there is some debate there about whether, you know, whether it's like the fruit proves it or the fruit makes it happen. Yeah, sure. Very interesting. Uh, Yeah, just just a little a little note there uh, for for your wrestling um, let's see, moving on. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Okay, so a good moment to like stop here and say, okay, so this passage isn't just about 
prayer and spiritual disciplines, like this John 15, like the whole point of it is not summed up in just simply the idea of if you have your devotional time and and know what it means to create space for God, like that's what John 15, no, John 15 is talking about Jesus is inviting them to follow him on the way to the cross, to make sure that his words and his teaching remain in them. And then this, this statement here is not just about spiritual practice and just spiritual formation, even though I love that connection in this passage. He says, if you uh, if you keep my commandments, that's how, how do we remain? How do we abide? How do we stay? If you keep my commandments, if you walk in my way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to show you the way to the Father. If you keep my commandments, if you remain in my love, that that's what abiding looks like. So a, a good a good pause worthwhile just to make sure we don't turn this into some weird, uh, trendy, only spiritual formation. This is just about prayer and memorizing my Bible. And it's about something bigger than that. But goodness, a great starting place for abiding and remaining is certainly going to be creating space for God to to bear fruit in your life. No doubt. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Okay. So if you were like, okay, obey, obey his commands, like all of his commands, like which commands? And, and the answer I think would be yes. But then Jesus is kind enough a couple sentences later to even sum up what is the big idea of his commandments. And that shouldn't be a shocking idea because he's summed it up elsewhere. Paul will sum it up in the rest of the New Testament. It's going to be summed up routinely throughout your New Testament with the idea of loving our neighbor as ourself. Um, but here Jesus is saying, you got to... If you obey my commandments, that's how you remain in my love. That's how you're going to bear fruit. That's how you're going to stay in the vine, by remaining. And, and what are my commandments again? Love. So if you want to remain in, in my love, love other people. And and that's um, and that's, a, that's a pretty good summation, I would say. Yeah, and the NET points out that in verse 10, it's commands, plural. But then in verse 12, it is command, singular. You can sum up all the commands with one command. I like that. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now, I've been told that this is a key moment in, uh, in, a, in, in the life stage of rabbinical training. When a rabbi says, you like that particular term, like we've talked about, uh, like the the Hebrew idea for friend is haver, and and the havara. We've talked about that. Like if the rabbi calls you haver and hav and and havarim, well, he's now a part. He has basically said, I, "I am, I am one of you." And so right before he goes to be arrested and lay down his life, he essentially says, "We're we're colleagues now." Now I don't know how much to make of that. I've never been able to find a, a, a whole bunch to dive in super deep and make that a huge thing. But I do think it's worth noting as we go through there that Jesus, you know, he basically says, hey, guys, you're about ready to follow me, and, and I'm about ready to show you. What was the verses you read just, uh, let's see, at the beginning of that reading, you said, um, no one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I thought, man, that feels very last episode-y to me. Philip, you know the way to the Father. You know, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and life. Here I go to the cross, and it feels like the same continued 
conversation here. And so I, I just I just like that idea. And, and and Jesus saying, and you're now, you're now with me. You're now one of me. So now you get to come follow me. And and if that is what he's doing, that's pretty that's a significant little ditty. And it's interesting that it's past tense. Uh Everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Yep. And then, and then your next verse, give us a, give us the next one. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And so I, you know, and again, I hear a very rabbinical statement there, which again, in my mind, gives credence to this idea that what Jesus is doing by calling them friends is a very rabbinical move. Because then he calls back to their call. He calls back to their calling. He says, remember, remember that day on the beach when I called you, how backwards that was, how unusual that was. Remember that I called you. So what I'm what I'm inviting you to do, what I'm telling you, you got to stay with me and abide with me and remain in me. When I tell you, you got to follow me to lay down your life. When I'm telling you, you got to do all this stuff, and you don't think you can do it. And I'm telling you that I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to give you the things that you need to empower you to actually do the things. Remember that day when I called you. I would have never called you if I didn't think that you could do the same things that I do. And obviously not in their own human power with the help of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus calls them back in this critical moment to that day. You didn't choose me. That's what every disciple does. Every disciple goes to a rabbi and asks him and applies to him to be his, his, his student, his Talmud. That's normal. Jesus says, I didn't operate that way. I came to you. You were fishing on the beach. I came to you and I said, you can do this. I called you out. That's how much I, you didn't even come apply to me. I believed in you so much. I came and I found you. I chose you and you in fact can do this with the help of the Holy Spirit. I I appointed you to go bear fruit. This is the moment that I've been calling you. And I just find that I'm, I'm probably ranting here, but I find that so compelling so moving because of what these guys and gals are going to go on to do and the way they're going to lay down their life and the stuff that they're going to do in the decades that follow this. This is this critical moment where Jesus is saying, you don't understand how much I believe in you. And I think there's something in this passage, not just for those 12 apostles and a handful of ladies. I think there's something in that for us too. Jesus says, I, I know how broken and screwed up and how human you all are. I'm telling you that in the Holy Spirit, you can do this. You can follow me. You can do the things. You can bear the fruit. You can remain in me. It's unbelievably difficult, but you, you've you got this. And I, I just, I love to be reminded about that in John 15. Yeah, and I like what he goes on to talk about as far as like, what you're about to experience is not any different than what I've already experienced. Like, yes. I've gone through this, and yes. I still believe in you in it, that. It's, Yes, it's it's going to back up everything we just looked at in the last episode or two. That same idea. Follow me to the cross. I am the way and you can walk in the way. You, yeah, Absolutely. I love that. It's a great point. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And I love to stop here because we kind of get, there's two different personalities. Some of us get worked up 
over this paragraph and we start to be like, yes, yeah, see, and this is where we kind of like, we, we start to throw this toward culture wars and the world's going to hate us and we're persecuted. And, and when you're a Christian in the world, and there's an element of that, I'm going to completely get behind. There's another element of that. We got to be real careful. We got to be real careful either side, e- either personality that comes to this conversation. We got to be careful that we don't just take one section of the gospels, one teaching pull it out of context and kind of universalize it, like kind of say like, well, this is the universal experience. Because elsewhere, Jesus has said, the kingdom of God is going to be like a tree where all the birds come and nest in its branches. And other places, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is here to be a blessing to the world around it. Like all of Jesus' ministry, he loved the outsiders. He brought them in. He welcomed the sinners. He, he did. And, and so it would be foolish to say, either direction, that that's all the kingdom is, and, and, and everything, the world's just going to love us, because the world's not going to love the kingdom. At the same hand, uh, on, the same, uh, on the other hand, at the same time, it's also, it would be just as foolish to say, and, and the world's just endlessly going to hate us, and we're always going to be at war with the world, because you have all those other passages and other contexts. We have to remember the conversation that's taking place here in John. Jesus is inviting them to persevere in the midst of the, uh, of the struggle that is going to bring them to glory. This teaching is showing up in the book of glory. It didn't show up in Matthew 13. It didn't show up in some of the other conversations of the synoptics. So we got to keep these teachings in their proper place so we can hear the lesson that's there for us without projecting it onto everything else. And so, yes, there is something about what Jesus is calling to us that's not going to make any sense. It's going to be counterintuitive to the world. The world's not going to understand it. It's not going to. It's not going to be success according to the world's metrics. And when you start to confront the empires of the world and the imperial thinking, it's actually going to turn around and come after you, just like it came after me. Jesus said. So yes, 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 yes. Just make sure we're not doing more with that than what this passage is doing. We need to make sure we keep it in its lane. Well, and I don't think the ideas are mutually exclusive either. No, like just because the world persecutes us does not uh, abdicate our call to be a blessing to the world. Absolutely. And we tend to go one way or the other. I feel like either camp just tends to kind of lean all one direction that we're only here to be a blessing and to and and the world should just love us all the time. On the other hand, we have another group that just kind of says, oh, the world, the world should hate us and anything that the world likes. If the world likes it, it can't be good. But that's but that's not what we saw in the life of Jesus. Jesus consistently said, Oh, there's something in the world that's very it's got God drenched all over it. Like it's just dripping with the divine. So so just because it's in the world doesn't mean it's ungodly. But yes, the kingdom is also going to run very counter. It's it's gonna be empire versus shalom. There's gonna be a clash and a conflict of these two kingdoms, and you can come to expect that. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. All right. Now, just to make that point and try to make sure that we're not being crazy here, 
Like, I think a lot of times Christians will be like, yes, there's a world category and there's a church category, and everything church is awesome and amazing and beautiful and blessed, and God loves it, and everything that has the world label is evil and broken and sinful and disgusting. But when Jesus just said, you know, I came to talk to them, and if and if I wouldn't have done that, if I came to teach them and and make these things known to them, they wouldn't be with sin. And that whole reference, or those last few verses, which group was it that he had just spent all of his time confronting over the last, I don't know, 10 chapters of John, Brent? Uh, the religious leaders? Yeah. Is that, can you remember, like, huge chunks of John where he is confronting the sin of outsiders? Uh, no. No. Really. <laughs> it's just not what the Gospel of John's about. And even the stories that we do have, the Samaritan woman or or any of those stories where you might bump into outsiders, however you want to categorize that, Jesus is constantly inviting them blessing them, bringing them to wholeness. But the confrontation, the confrontation of sin has happened with the religious. So I think we want to be really careful here before we just go, ah, yeah, I know all about the world. I know about the world and the world that's going to be against me and the persecution from the world. And God loves the godly and he hates the world. Be real careful with that because not only do we have for God so loved the world, we also have the fact that the one person, the one group of people he he confronted was religious folks like most of you, you know, most you and me. I'll, I'll put me in that group, but that's the that's the group that he spent so much time confronting, as we've seen in John. And I've worked really hard to make sure that we just don't go the Jews. It was just about the Jews because I think that's how we typically read John. We read John and we just go, oh, those silly Jews, and we never associate with those religious Jews as religious people ourselves. And I. I hope that by now we've picked up one of the things I wanted us to do was to associate our own religious identity with those same religious Jews that are being talked about, those Judeans, whoever those groups are, associate with them on the basis of religious identity. Don't disassociate because of the difference in your religious identity, if that makes any sense. I don't know if I said that well, but... There you go, Brent. And uh, both the NIV and the NET point out that the... The quote, they hated me without reason, uh, could be either from Psalm 35 or Psalm 69. The NET makes the case that it's more likely Psalm 69 because uh, that psalm is cited also in John 2 and John 19. Uh, But I think that would be an interesting study to look at each of those psalms in, in their full context and see you know, is is John actually making a reference to one or the other specifically? Is he referencing both of them? Yeah, that's some great homework there. I, I can think of reasons why I love and hate the uh, the idea that Psalm 69 might be the Ramez there. And you said the other one was Psalm 35? What'd you say? 30, 35, yeah. 35. It's the same It's the same phrase in both of the Psalms, apparently. Uh-huh. Um, so this this one could be a reference to the, the other, uh, either either one of them or both of them, I think. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I just sent off an email today from a listener uh, to a listener that was asking about, you know, some clarifying questions about Pardes. And I, one of the things I said is, I wonder, I often wonder, um, like, how, how often are there intentional layers from Jesus or, a, you know, whoever the Jewish teacher is in, in a Pardes type layering situation? How often, if ever, does the teacher like say, man, I'm, 
I'm using a remez here that actually toys with two or three or multiple passages on purpose because I want you to kind of toy with all of those because they're all kind of connected. And I, I wonder, I don't have a good answer on that, but I, I wonder if it could potentially, like in this case, be both of those. Yeah, and uh, I haven't looked at either of these psalms, so I, I don't have any opinion personally on which one is more likely or, or both, but it would not surprise me one bit to have John uh, attacking something from two different angles. Nope. Yep, it's a great point. I think it's a, I think it's a real possibility that it could be uh, a reference to both contexts. So, yep, love it. All right, well, people got some homework, and uh, anything else we need to talk about before we close this out? I think we're good for today. We had a good little conversation about the saucy passage of John fifteen. <laughs> if you remain in Him, He will, He will bear fruit. I can guarantee it. I can promise. If you remain in Him. He will bear fruit, and it will be fruit that will last. That is what it says. I think that's pretty good, Brent. Okay. Well, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can uh, find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB, and you can find more details about the show at BayamontDiscipleship.com. So thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.